Hello and welcome to what I think will be the uh, the last Meg podcast for 2022. We don't think any of us are planning to uh, break our holidays and uh, record another one. So we're recording this one on the 20th of December, um, whatever date it actually gets published. Um, and on this one, we've not, not really got a topic for this one. We just thought we'd have a, a bit of a group chat, really. Um, talk about a few things, how the year's gone, what we're looking forward to, and maybe other bits and pieces. And to go with myself, Richard and Matt, as usual, we've invited along um, a couple of friends, uh, Paul Cummins and Graham Clacker. So welcome both, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having us. We're, we're, we're all sitting here hoping and fingers crossed that the technology holds up. Um, we've had a, we've already had a couple of hiccups before we even start, so this could this could be the shortest Meg podcast on record. <laughs> but hopefully we will we'll go through some stuff and hopefully we'll entertain you along the way. Um, so you know, as as we always say, without further ado, thought maybe we could start by. A bit of a look back on 2022. I mean, I, I think we've had quite a busy year, but maybe some highlights. You know, what do we think have been, been some good things in the year? Um, we'll try and avoid low lights, shall we? Let's be positive, <laughs> positive, up, upbeat, and, and generally try and enthuse ourselves. So, uh, I don't know. Richard. Okay. Just to pick on you. Good evening, everyone. Um, and. I suppose I have to say the highlight for me should be winning the Meg World Championship. Oh, do um, of course. It says, um, <laughs> which came with a very, very nice trophy, which sits on my uh, sideboard um, and looks very smart there. Um, so I have to say, I think I was extremely lucky with the draw. Um, you, you got a complete uh, muffet in the last round, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, if you will use elephants in a competition. <laughs> uh, to, to those who don't understand, I should explain my final round was playing Nick and he was using a, a Anchor Empire army. And I was I was using a very cunning Parthian army, uh, sorry, Sassanid Persian army that uh, was designed to fight in mountains. So everybody thinks Sassanid Persian army choose don't want to choose open plains so they picked mountains and I was thinking they've fallen into my trap <laughs> so that that's the that's the only claim to any sort of tactical brilliance or or claim for that competition but it seemed to work quite well yeah it, well it's um yeah it was it was an interesting take on the the army which if I remember rightly had well it had a large infantry contingent didn't it it, it had a Sabir ally, which provided um, basically tribal dev charger, I think, foot, um, and with had a minimal number of horse archers and maximised on uh, cataphracts. So uh, it was an army that uh, fought on quite a narrow frontage, but had plenty of troops capable of um, uh, holding and um, uh, using terrain, but the heroes were really my archers. I had a unit of Sassanid Persian archers who I placed on a hill or a mountain each time, and they sat there and people attacked them and people ran away. 
<laughs> so uh, suited me. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was that was uh, I guess my main highlight. Um, I have to say I'm quite happy to have reached uh, this week because this week uh, my other highlight was getting the uh, um, PDF edition for Maximus and Magna finalised. So I'm looking forward to that being available in the new year. Um, seeing how that goes. Yeah, that's that's a pretty big achievement, I think. Because uh, you were, are we, all, are we all looking forward to that? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yes. So. <laughs> you haven't seen it yet. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I have. I have seen it. <laughs> I've, I've even, I've even tried it out on my uh, cheap little tablet. And uh, with PDF, yeah, no, it works, works quite well enough. The only, only thing I found out that the, for, I've got, a little, it's a cheapy Android tablet I got, and the, the Android Adobe Reader, doesn't seem to let you go back if you follow one of the hyperlinks. I've found another reader that does. Right. But odd, oddly, you know, so actually I'll throw that open to anybody who's listening. If anybody knows what I'm missing in the Adobe Reader, I'd, I'd love to know because it's because I usually use that. I don't know if anybody else hears Matt, Paul, Graham, any experience? It's a big blank from everybody here. I was hoping Matt, as our tech person, would know. Well, well, to be honest, I, 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 since Microsoft have released their Office version for um, Android phones and Android tablets, you can now basically put Excel and their PDF reader and stuff on there, and that seems to work pretty well. But I don't have the preview, so I don't know if the links work as expected. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. Well, on, on this, this alternative um, PDF reader I found, yeah, they work great. Follow them, hit a back button, you go back to where you came from, and yeah, it's, it's all looking good. So, uh, good. Oh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. So, yeah, yeah. So, GK, I'm going to pick uh, on you next, mate. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, highlights for me, uh, probably uh, getting a, an army entirely painted, and in fact, printed by me onto a table, I think probably was the main highlight. Um, I've had plenty of competitions where I've had a lot of fun, which is always good. Uh, uh, and I've played a few, few, players from my bucket list of top players so i always want to play as many of them as possible you learn a lot more from those games so and if you get them in not the first round you've earned that as well which is even better so uh, <laughs> uh nick has crushed me underfoot three times i think this year so uh that was it was always good uh, always enjoyable you always learn something new so yeah it was nice to get an army i painted on to get the armed romans on the table and even if they were going the wrong way a fair amount but, uh, was that the romans yeah the romans that was my first Oh, it's only taken me about, <laughs> taken me just over a year to finally get get one on the table. I've painted everything, but uh, so, yeah, it's been, the, the Romans with the infamous poor cataphracts. Yes, everyone's favourite unit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which actually caused me a lot of problems last time it we did. played. But despite me taunting you yes. mercilessly about them in the pub the night before. Yeah, <laughs> one unit was inevitably going to roll good dice it was going to be that easy, wasn't it you know yeah. well, they're really up for the fight yeah. he said we're rubbish well we are <laughs> rubbish yeah but he said we're rubbish oh yeah true 
We might, we might come back to cataphracts a little bit later. I've got a thought about cataphracts. <laughs> so, uh, um, although I do have a slight feeling that this group might be a bit of a cataphract fan club. <laughs> <laughs> on which note, on which note, Mr. Haywood. Ooh, right. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I've a, I've a personal high note, but I think in general, my high notes this year have been the number of people that have stepped forward to either run competitions or stepped in at the last minute, like Graham, Sid. Um, I'm sure there are others that, whose names I've got, and they've, they've done fantastic work in keeping the circuit going in some unusual circumstances sometimes. And um, and we've had a large number of competitions as well, which has been great. The one that devises was small, but fantastically well um, run. Um, so in general, that, that's my highlight is it, it, it's great to see the community that, that, that's formed and people um, stepping up and, you know, doing the scoring and making sure the tables are set up properly and all, all, all that fantastic thing. Uh, my personal highlight is I've managed to run all bar one of my competitions this year with an army that breaks on a tug of, uh, of, of four. With, you know, <laughs> you know, so all my competitions, I, 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 bar one, as I say, I, I've run really small armies and done pretty well with them so yeah that was entertaining Matt, was the was the one competition you didn't have a break point of four the one you won no that was the one i got absolutely butchered that was ice and fire at the beginning of the year when i ran my koreans i did not do well with that <laughs> at all <laughs> um yeah I, I think i came second in divisors with um oh god what the heck was i running Sassanid persian and then i did the same at warfare with a minimal list that um I threw together the, the day before. So, uh, so yeah. Then I ran one at LGT, but unfortunately I had a bit of an accident in the car park the night, so I never made the Sunday. I think, Paul, you stepped in and ran one of the games for me, didn't you, on yeah, the Sunday? Just one of the game, a, a quick hour down the road, play a game and jump straight back in the car for an hour back again. But, yeah. I... Yeah, it was great. I think you scored more points on that one game than I scored on the entirety of the three games on Saturday. <laughs> 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 no, we were very grateful for Paul's Paul doing yeah, that. That was really good. Yeah. Driving down so it fits in with what you're saying. So yeah. Um we will also come back to the that four break army a bit later, because I think there's there's something worth talking about there. And I know I know Richard has used a an army with four breaks somewhere along the line. Um but I haven't. So maybe we'll have a bit of chat about that later. But anyway, Paul, you've got a name check there? Yeah, well, um, building the Chinese, building the, actually, no, rephrase that, Chinese war wagons, not Chinese in general, Chinese war wagons. That's been my <laughs> highlight of the year. Um, they're absolutely evil. Um, unfortunately, also, that's my low light, I think. I've been cursed since the last time I used, since I used them in um, a brick on, that every time I've been planning on getting them out again, something's happened and prevented me from going to a competition. Absolute disaster. Um, but also the two best moments in competition for me this week, this year, was shooting a dismounted Tibetan army completely to a standstill with them. That was um, amusing. Um, and a game I lost 15-0, when I think that was actually more account of how many um, pints of lager I'd had um, whilst it was 40 degrees and replacing all the all the water in my body with lager. And I don't remember anything about the game apart from it was fun and I achieved absolutely nothing. I'm not sure how I achieved absolutely nothing with that army. It was just two armies just sitting there batting away at each other, but it was great. 
Uh, and the other thing, actually, um, sort of the wider thing, is the number of sort of the or odd themes, especially towards the beginning of last year. So ice and fire and foot sloggers. Uh, it's really nice to get some completely different armies out. So going to head, I think, to a couple of good ones this year with the similar sort of ideas or you know, bringing in a bit of Magna and some 20, 28 mil stuff. Could be good. Cool. So, so we will see the uh, war wagons again, perhaps? Oh, I hope so. I, I, I haven't actually checked how they've um, changed in them, um, or if they have in the new version yet. Uh, I'm saving that for, well, for this week while I'm off on holiday now to have a look and see what's going on. <laughs> Any spoilers, no. Richard? I don't believe they've changed at all. Uh, oh, I'm gutted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I suppose, uh, suppose I, I ought to have, have some highlights. Um, I think, like Richard, I'm going to start off with a, a competition I won. Um, but it's it's way back in the mists of time. It was, it was ice and fire at the start of this year. Um, I, I, I liked the theme for the competition. You know, it was sort of easternish um armies which are sort of fit into my my um yeah what, what i like really um i took along the um early northern song which is an army i just painted up um figures i'd bought specially for that army so that sort of fitted in really nice and um yeah well basically i, I won all four games so i scored 60 out of 60 uh, won the competition, and uh, the last two rounds were against Lee Sanders and Simon Hall. Um, and beating both of them, it was re really, really good. Um, I particularly liked towards the end of the game against Simon Hall's Mongol army when I when I charged one of his cavalry units in the front and rear with infantry. Which I, <laughs> so it's just, I, my my basically infantry army was getting to the point of surrounding his. So you know that. That kicked off my year really, really well. But uh, you know, it was, a, it was a number of things. It was a, it was a good theme. It was a great competition. Um, it was just a great start to the year. So hopefully, next year's one will do the same. Um, I think Paul's mentioned another highlight of mine. Actually, was foot sloggers. You know, for somebody who uses a lot of cavalry armies, that was a bit of a hmm, do I do I actually want to play this competition or not? You know, and then and thinking, oh, it's all going to be infantry, and it's going to be. Hmm, two or three obvious armies, you know, things like Galatians and whatever. And then when you started digging into it, as I think we mentioned the podcast shortly after it, actually, you know, you actually start getting, oh, hang on, this is really interesting. <laughs> and you can find all sorts of bits and pieces. And I ended up taking early Arab conquest and had, 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 had a damn good time, um, which inclu included the, the, the first game, which it involved, how was it? where Richard fought two battles side by side in an absolute moment of madness and ended up with, a, well, it must have been close to eight foot of continuous combat between the two <laughs> tables <laughs> as, as Arby just ran straight at each other. Yeah, I, I was using Inca on one table and Bantu tribes on another. Um, and uh, yes, I rolled about 40 combat dice in very quick succession <laughs> and uh, by the end of it I didn't have a clue what army had done what to be honest <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it enabled a... competition to carry on without a buy so yeah I mean, that, that was just heroic oh. <laughs> really because uh, you know, uh, it was 
Because it was, was it, it was Will Denham, the other person you were playing, was next to me. I can't remember. Yes, that's yeah. correct. I was playing Will's Canary. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, um, but I do remember. You know, you're running up and down these two tables, and whenever you were rolling the combat dice to the other one, Will or I got a, got a break. <laughs> could, could just sit down and relax, and you're there running up and down, rolling dice all the time. So that was actually it was quite a highlight just watching that, to be honest. Yeah, let's go. What one other little highlight for me is a, a new army I'm painting, the Yamato era Japanese. I've been just uh, really pleased with the figures I got for that from Kurazan. How how nice they are and how well they're painting up. So, not sure when I get it on the table, but that sort of counts as a highlight for me. And uh, a nearly entirely infantry army. So that's going to be interesting. <clears throat> cool. Well, well, I think we've all had had some some some. Good times this year, which I think uh, people mentioned. Lots of good competitions, lots of different opponents. Been a it's been a good year for Meg, I think. So, well, yes, one other thing I should point out, actually, sorry, is um, oh. we've actually managed to introduce quite a few new players as well in down south, and been quite nice. And uh, a lot of people get involved in that, and, and that's been quite fun as well. So, quite different from yes, that. It, it's worth saying that in uh, uh, Mad Axman's survey of the of the year end um, that Meg is the only rule set that had increased its numbers from 2019 to 2022. So hopefully we're doing something <clears throat> right. <laughs> Even if we're not sure what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well ho hopefully the um, the PDF edition that you've spent so much time doing will be will help accessibility as well because i think i think these days a lot of people are looking for um electronic versions versions that can be kept up to date you know so we obviously rolled all the clarries into that you know things and um they work out cheaper than than hardback books so you know. yes and uh, we're combining the best of both worlds because as part of the download package you can get the low resolution for loading up onto the tablets or um, the high resolution print on demand version as well. So uh, meet the best of both worlds. Nice. Personally, I'm going to try and see if I can run it from a from my tablet. Although, although I feel my ta tablet being a cheap one, it might just turn out to be a feeble excuse to buy a better tablet. <laughs> <laughs> All that money saved by using PDFs. <laughs> yes, we'll save so much money I can afford a nice new tablet. <laughs> mm, yes, <laughs> and I wonder why I'm broke. <laughs> okay, well, talking about spending money to pick up something GK mentioned earlier, <clears throat> his his, uh, his his Roman army, his first army that he, for me that he's painted up is also a 3D printed army, isn't it? Great. It is. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so. And you know, I know a lot of people are quite interested in 3D printing, and I know equally I am pretty unknowledgeable about it. Is unknowledgeable a word? Am I, am I offending Mr. Cummings as our resident teacher here by yeah, inventing that words? Quite painful, but it could well be a word. word <laughs> I will consider myself told off for that, for my, my, my lack of technical knowledge. I think Nick ignorant is the normal word that would be used. But, uh, <laughs> can I claim English as a second language? I've spent so much time reading and talking war games rules. 
maybe maybe I ceased to speak English and, and, and to be doing something for work as well, which I you could probably play buzzword bingo with. <laughs> Corporate speak is taking over. Anyway, the lot, it's not for me waffling about my my pronunciation and stupid words. So we'd ask Graham just to you know, give us a bit of a, a rundown on 3D printing, some of the do's and don'ts, what you need, what you you know, what, what you can get, what you can do out there. And, you know, because there's hardware and software and all sorts of stuff. So, Graham, over to you, mate. Yeah, sure. OK, um, well, 3D printing is, is a pretty broad subject. So, uh, I mean, it's used for all sorts of stuff and you can print in lots and lots of different um, substances as well. Uh, I mean, just a, a just a basic example there. It's used an awful lot in medicine, printing very, very small things, that implants that go into for use for medicine. So tiny things with lots and lots of detail. Um, and there is also a case somewhere I was reading where in some place where they're 3D printing the, the outline of houses. Um, so it's quite, quite different. <clears throat> but uh, obviously we're interested in 3D printing for, for toy soldiers. So... And there's really quite a couple of options. You can 3D print in plastic. Uh, most common is something called FDM. Um, and you can also do resin printing, uh, which is what I do. It's called uh, MSLA. I can't remember what that actually stands for. Um, but those are your sort of two model options. Resin printing is uh, a lot more accurate and detailed. Uh, I've got some sort of World War Two 15 mil tanks and things like that that are printed in plastic and they're okay, uh, but they're not amazing standard models. They are relatively cheap uh, and it's uh, a little bit simpler to do plastic, but I couldn't really tell you an awful lot about it. Um, and I wouldn't imagine you'd want to print a 15 mil infantry figure in plastic. It probably wouldn't really work. But I can tell you about a bit about resin, which is what I do. Um, <clears throat> so... It works relatively, it's a relatively simple system. Uh, you have a uh, printer, which is, I don't know, thinking about how it's probably two foot tall, foot wide, maybe. You, it has a, you fill a vat with resin. It's got a transparent bottom to the vat, and that sits on top of what is basically a, a screen that will shine UV lights. Uh, a plate will, will come from a, a, sort of a metal plate will come and dip into the resin. The lights will light up uh, in the areas that it wants to, for the layer it wants to print, and it will cure the resin. It then and it sticks onto the plate, lifts the plate up a little bit, and then lowers it again and repeats the process. So you get layer by layer printed reverse on this plate. Uh, so, the, <clears throat> so it it's not particularly quick, um, and but the the side what the size of the plate doesn't matter. It's the it's the, the height of the object you're printing, which which takes the time. Uh, for an idea of cost, I bought my well, I bought my, I've got an Elegoo Mars 2, which is the uh, printer I've got. I had a little look today. You can buy a, an Elegoo Mars 3 on Amazon for about 260 quid. Uh, you could also get a, so for a comparison, an FDM plastic printer cost you about 180 pounds going up and going up. Obviously, the more you spend, you can get a bigger printer and it can do more flashy things. Uh, the printer I've got has got a plate which is approximately 140 mil by 80 mil. So not particularly big. 
And to put that in your context, I can usually get about 25, 15 million for two figures on one print. It does depend a little bit on what they're doing. If they're being a bit rowdy and thrusting a spear out to a side, I mean, they take up room for someone else. If they're standing neatly in line, you can get a few more in there. Um, so typically, if I was printing, say, some Roman legionaries, you'd probably look at 25 figures and it costs you, take you about two and a half hours to, to actually print them. Uh, so what you end, and what you end up with is a, a plate of resin that'll have a, a temporary base, which they've been put onto, and lots of supports, which they're which are keeping them where they are. Um, you'll need to cut those off. But the first thing you need to do is is wash all the resin off. You can buy quite uh, nice curing stations that do all this in one. I've never not used one of those myself. I get Tupperware boxes and fill them with the IPA, which is pretty much pure alcohol. Stick your models in. Yeah, don't drink it. War gamers plus pure alcohol. <laughs> and and just uh, leave it in there for a little while, give it a bit of a shake every now and again, uh, and then you, you get it out and you need to leave it to dry. You will then need to cure it, which will be sticking in front of some UV light. So if it's the summer, the sunlight will do it. It is a bit inconsistent, particularly in this country. <laughs> so usually if you get yourself a, a little UV lamp and a, some sort of turntable. Someone bought me one, which is uh, solar power, which is quite a neat, neat idea and stick them on a tray, leave them on there for five to ten minutes or so as they get cured. They're those people who know what they're doing are probably screaming at this, saying, what are you doing? That's a terrible period of time for doing it. And that will harden the resin, so you get to a, the point where it's really, as you want it. Um, it. It's already sort of fairly hard before that, but it would be a bit more flexible. Uh, I find sometimes I cut off some of the supports before I do that, if you've got a guy who's got a like long-reaching spear and 15 mil, that's going to be quite thin and quite brittle. So if you cut it off when it's got maximum sort of flexibility, it's better. Um, and then you'll have to take the rest of the supports off. So it is a bit of a task. It does take a, a while to go through all those things you're doing. I have found if you're doing 25 mil, 28 mil as it is, it's a bit easier because uh, you can literally just peel the supports off by hands in most cases. It's only the, the sort of more vulnerable things that you have to be more careful with. Uh, and if you're doing, say, a, a building uh, or some sort of terrain, again, you'll probably find most of the supports you can just peel off by hand. So it does depend a bit on what you're doing. Um, as for software, it's remarkably easy to use. And all the stuff I've got is free. There's a standard bit of software which I use, which comes free, we can download for free. Um, and it's very, very easy to use. It's like, you know, it, it's trying to think of something to compare it to, really. It's a bit like using Paint or Publisher or something like that, or Excel. Uh, it really is very, very simple. Um, you don't need to do an awful lot of things with it. You're literally moving stuff around on a screen, putting them, putting them where you want to do it, where you want them to print on your plate. It, uh, you can use it to add supports. So, if you, so I suppose that's the, the next point. When you, you need something to print. And so to do that, you best thing to do usually is to, obviously, if you're very, very clever, you're capable of doing it yourself. You can probably design things. 
or you can find them, find your files for free or buy them. Um, there are quite a lot of free files you can get if you can search through them. If you're talking about Meg, though, you're probably looking at buying most of the files you can get. So there's a company I use. My Romans are from a company called 3D Breed. Uh, they relatively new, but they've got a couple. I've got a, a list of things. I can tell you what sort of things they've got. Uh, they've got a Romans, there's some Celts, some early Germans, Carthaginians, Greeks, Macedonians, Archimedes Persians. They've got a limited number of Reconquista, Reconquista stuff, sorry. And there's various art enemies and allies of those things. So you've got Parthians and Spanish and things like that knocking around as well. Uh, I've got a, some, a different set of people who have done some Mongols. And I've got quite a large number of samurai things I've I got as well. Uh, if you can find these things on Kickstarter, you can usually get them for an incredibly good deal. So I think I spent something like $50 on the Samurai files, and there are hundreds and hundreds of files. Uh, I could, yeah, loads of stuff. Um, and I think uh, I backed the Greeks, Macedonians, and Persians, and that cost me about $40 or $50, and I've got literally all the files I've done for that. If you're buying them later on, you can look at sort of the majority of things you'll need for a Roman army for something like 40, 40 euros or something like that. So it does depend a bit on what you're, how much you're going to print. Um, but if you've got a 3D image and you need to add supports to it, make it print ready, really easy to do using the software. Uh, and if you want to, be a little bit more adventurous you can do some fairly clever stuff with software as well there's another free bit of software called mesh mixer which allows you to put things together and edit things slightly and i've got a, a friend i know who does world war ii stuff and he's uh, got some figures some uh, world war ii infantry figures and he's found some other bits and designed the bases and he's actually printed his figures on the bases with all the little dioramas on the bases. So he had a one one unit of sort of four. So it's slightly bigger than a about slightly bigger than a Meg cavalry base. If you're thinking about that, with four infantrymen running around, then there was a chicken hutch and a chicken all three D printed on the base. <laughs> so um, you can do some pretty pretty clever stuff like that without being particularly expert in it. Uh, I haven't really bothered on that because it's don't feel particularly beneficial for Meg. So that's kind of a, a run through. Um, I would, yeah, I'd probably spend uh, 30 odd pounds for a, a litre of resin, and that will print you probably probably get a whole army or so out of that. I'd have said, um, maybe depends on the army, obviously, but probably you probably get a 15 mil army quite comfortably out of that. Maybe a few bits and pieces as well. You'll need to get your various bits like your Tupperware and your your lights and you'll need to get some some ipa uh, one other thing you will need to do is get rid of this is it is a bit of a pain is getting rid of the residue because it's quite it's toxic stuff so you've got to be you've got to get it all cured so the trick which are the best trick i've found or, or would be advised to do is to give you can get yourself some nice big bottles plastic bottles potentially you have to throw away so sort of old uh fruit juice bottles if you are innocent fruit juice they've got nice big uh openings which means you can pour stuff into it so when you finish with your your ipa you've been curing the resin in 
pour it all into the bottle, seal it on the top and leave it in the windowsill somewhere for a period of time and the sunlight will slowly cure the resin in it and it'll drop to the bottom. It's really good in the summer. It's a bit slower in the winter. <laughs> um, and you'll end up and you can then pour your IPA through a filter and then just reuse that again and cure the resin a bit more until it's fully hardened and you just chuck it away. But it is a bit of a slow process and can be a bit messy. I think that's I think that's everything. Yeah, so I don't ask away. Yeah, so it sounds to me as if you can get armies. See, we can get the files. You know, you say you yeah. spent like thirty euros or something on a on the Roman stuff for an old army, and then th thirty quid for your resin, and then it's time. Yeah, and you will need to get some IPA and things like that in there as well. But uh, I reckon that. I spent, I think I, I managed to get my printer in um, in one of the Black Friday deals or something like that, or Cyber Tuesday or whatever they call it. And um, uh, I reckon, I think I spent £160 on that. I reckon probably two armies worth, and I probably paid for the printer. And things like that. I reckon that's my theory. And you get to do lots of nice, fun things like snails and all sorts of stuff, you know. The inevitable snails. For those who don't know, Graham, Graham has got some printed snails that he uses for slow markers for shooting. So, <laughs> snail slow. It's even got an S in it. Yeah, it, it all works, doesn't it? Has, has anybody else um, got any experience in three D printing? You know, I haven't. For, for some reason, I have this inkling that Paul might be the one who has. I, I've not done any actual printing. I've bought a few three D printed figures um from somebody fairly local the thing i my question about it really is about the stls because how scalable are they because you're 25 mil and you're 15 mil while the figures if they're just human scale will be the same but one of the things miniature designers tend to do is make the hands and the heads much bigger to make them look better in different scales so how much of, this, of that sort of scaling goes on in the stls uh well that's a good that's a fair point and certainly i've got some the, the mongol figures i've printed uh i bought them i think as advertisers 15 mil but i they're, they're to me i think they're designed to be 28 so some of them are a bit slim uh yeah. certainly with the, the samurai seem actually okay but the the swords are very thin uh, again i think they're probably ideally for 28 mils so it does depend a bit on what, you, what you're doing. I would I would say that if you're if you're looking at I think more miniatures are looked at designed up for 28 mil I think than 15s. Yeah. The 3D breed stuff I've got, they clearly have made a significant effort to design their things in for 15 mil. I think reading an article about I think they're 15 mil players first and so they scale up. Uh, and as a result, you've probably seen some of them. The Romans are pretty bulky. I call them my rowdy Romans because they don't they don't fit in a neat line on the on the base. They have to sort of you know mix and match to make sure they stand next to each other. And every now and again, if I, I, as I'm sure every wargamer has done, I get a base wrong and it won't sit next to another base. And oh, I'm not standing next to you. Get your last time here. I can't get my last time here. It's stuck. I can't move it. You know. Um, so it does depend a little bit on what your what your printing pool. I think some things will not scale as well. Um, and they are going to be a bit more flimsy than your standard metal figures as well. Um, although that does depend on, on the resin you use and mixing it, uh, which I don't do, but some people do successfully so do. So talking about flimsiness, 
how are they standing up to games? Have you actually, you, you said you've got them on the table, so how, how do they survive? Because you know, one of my things about metal figures is that they chip and they, my, the paint always wears off for me because I'm obviously just clumsy and bashing um, around all over the place. So I like a black, black plastic, the paint stays on. But resin, I've got a feeling it's going to be somewhere in between that the paint's going to stay on, but the actual figures are going to break. That's my feeling. So what's your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, that, I mean, it's slightly uh, skewed because my fir the, the first lot of figures I printed, I used, I, I used a resin, which I definitely wouldn't use again. I can't remember what it is, but I can certainly... Uh, send some details, and maybe Nick can put it on his on his um, website or something if you want, uh, or on your blog or something if you like. Uh, anyway, um, I used a I can't remember a, a resin which was I wouldn't use again anyway, and it was very flimsy. Uh, I possibly over cured it as well. It was in the summer, so so some of my Romans are very very fragile. Um, I mean, bits them <laughs> bits them snap off. They're not they're not uh, as ideal as they were. The latest stuff I've done is. It's okay. I've had a few odd casualty, uh, and I certainly, if you, if you are someone who knocks your figures around a lot, you might find some of the models are gonna are gonna lose out. My, um, yeah, we've got a, a unit of cataphracts which I, I gave I printed from my dad, and they've lost a few, a fair few of their spears, shall we say? Um, even the more vulnerable, or even the more sort of fragile Romans, they're still okay. Um, Every now and again, one drops a shield. That's more the glue than the stuff. But a fair few peelum, uh, peelums, pylums? Peeler. Peeler. Okay. Um, a few of those have uh, have gone by the wayside. And I've got a fair few of the standards, which have been glued back on multiple times in different places. So they are more fragile, basically. Um, as for the paint, I haven't had any issue paint wearing off yet. But they've been around for maybe a year. So it's... Mm. Um, I wouldn't say bad, but they—they—it's definitely more. You're definitely looking more fragile. Again, if you were using Romans with swords and gladius, whatever, well, you'd be probably okay with those. If you're going to use guys with long spears or whatever, you might want to replace them. Or I'm not sure how easy that would be, to be honest. But yeah, yeah I was just about to ask if, if spears are a bit breakable for for them. How easy is would it be to? You know, you say you, you know, you, you, with metal ones, you could drill out the hands, put a wire spear in. You probably could do it. Um, I would say I wouldn't want to do it in my earlier Romans, but it'd be a bit pointless because they're, they're too fragile. Uh, you probably could do it with some of the other ones. I don't know whether you'd want to do it, you might want to do it before you cured it. You, I mean, it probably wouldn't be, I don't even, in some cases, it might not be impossible if you wanted to, to actually do that before you printed the model. Mm. You went into a mess mixture. You might, you might. I haven't tried anything like that, but you might be able to, to delete the spear. You know, just cut, cut it off. You may even be able to put a hole in the hand. So oh. you might well find that's the sort of thing you could do without any, you know, any an excessive level of knowledge. Yeah. Um, that's with the free software. Yeah, yeah. Lots of stuff you can do with the free software. So I, I don't know for that, for that for sure. Uh, you can certainly drill holes in things. So I'd imagine you probably would be doable one of the things you will find you would do if you were printing a larger model like printing a tank for example is you tend to hollow it out and if you hollow it out you then need to make punch some holes in the bottom of it so you can drain the excess resin out so so i know you can print punch holes in things so um so it might be possible to do that um 
it might even be worth a try thinking about that so uh, yeah. but uh yeah because that does depend on you being willing to do that because i know a lot, i know a lot of people who don't just don't like having to having separate spears and having to drill hands and things so yeah i'm lazy like that i'd rather i'm happy to want to break you know or might break i'm happy to be careful but certainly that is it's an ongoing process but um yeah does you know just on, on that does anybody do like macedonian pikemen or swiss pikemen or anything the the well the the, the yeah I, the macedonian pike are available now i haven't printed any yet I, so I haven't, I haven't even looked at the file, so I don't know what they're going to look like. I think they may even come in two parts, so that could be interesting. I would be, I don't know actually, I don't know if I'd be worried or not, because one advantage, you, they are a bit, you have got a fair bit of flex in them. So if you didn't cure them, if you only cure them lightly, get your level, get your paint on them, you might find that you're somewhere in between the two, you're not constantly bending them. We'll see. I've got some Mongol Mongol cavalry I've printed, and they've got pretty tall lances. So we'll see how they last. I've stabbed myself with them a couple of times, but and it's not as bad. <laughs> Nowhere near as bad as stabbing yourself with metal, which is one good thing. And nothing's uh, nothing's gone yet, and they're fairly flexible, so they might be they may be all right. So we'll, we'll just see. Um, what's um what what what's the uh, using the printer like in a domestic environment? Shall we say? Is it smelly? Is it a uh, it's not too bad. It is a, I mean, I've got, I, it is a bit smelly. It's not too bad. I've got, uh, I use a plant-based resin. So save the planet and, and that sort of thing. Seems to make sense. Not, it seems does a job. It smells a bit. It's not too bad. I don't think you can. I don't know if I've gone nose blind, but you can, I like, tend to be, I've got a, what I call my hovel where it sits in. Uh, but I, I've sat and painted well next to it or what it's about four or five feet away from me uh, it makes a bit of noise it's not it's not quiet it's got a sort of hum a bit like a uh, a bit like a sort of photocopier and big photocopier that sit in the background or something like that in, in an office or something like that it's got a fairly constant hum which can sometimes be annoying uh, which seems to be on whenever the printer's on not when it's printing it's just being on that does it just like to announce that it's on I don't know why um, so and obviously you've got lots of ipa heavy alcohol smell around some of us may notice that more than others as <laughs> uh, <laughs> a difference um so that that so it does have a bit of an effect but it's not too bad i find it's you probably wouldn't want it in your living room put it that way you probably do want it in a room out of the way i, I would suggest and you do need the space preferably windowsill space or a, or a you know, porch somewhere that isn't getting used or at the table in a porch somewhere where you can stick your stuff out to dry and cure and things like that, uh, you know, the residue and things like that. So I wouldn't advise you if you've got small children running around necessarily, you want to keep it away from them. Things like that. It does take space. Um, and you could, I mean, you could put it in a cupboard, frankly, as long as you could get power to it. Um, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, so you, you wouldn't want it in your living room. You, your other half would definitely get annoyed if, you, if she's watching the TV or something. <laughs> all the time. Um, but it's not too bad for another way. Yeah. That, that did feel like a loaded question from Matt. Yeah. Thinking if you can squeeze one past your missus, Matt. Well, well funny, I'm, 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 I have no experience with 3D printing, but I do have a lot of experience with buying 
3D printed STL files off of Kickstarters. <laughs> so, so I have I have a, quite a large library just at the moment, no physical way to use those. You see, so so it's... you'd be supporting Kickstarters, would have no way to use them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I've just got to build up to getting the printer. So you know, yeah. Right. So, yeah. Are there third parties who will print these files for you? Yes. Yeah, there are. Um, I don't know an awful lot about them because. I haven't been looking for them. There's certainly a few. They don't. I'm not sure you're necessarily going to get great as great value if you're getting from a third party. Some of them certainly seem to be fairly expensive at looking at them. I guess that's because you need to mark up in order to make some money, and then and sort of some of that disappears. Also, I'm yeah. I'm buying the files from somebody with a license for me to print them for me, not to sell them. So I suspect you'd have a, a bigger license if you were selling them on. Um, I know, I know that there's a, a guy, mostly sort of ancient moderns and World War Two tanks and things like that. But who, who uh, I bought a number of stuff from, uh, plastic printed. Um, so there are a few. I think Robin bought some previously, and I think uh, I think Jamie's bought a few as well. So there are a few places. There's, there's one I keep seeing on uh, on eBay he prints. Uh, some of the 3D breed stuff, but then they charge quite a bit for them. So, yeah, I think I think Robin Robin bought some incredibly nice looking Norman cavalry, something like that. But uh, I think he found them very brittle. That I think they might have been what you were saying about the sort of 28 mil downsized. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think there are some some like that, uh, and you don't know. And sometimes you don't know until you try how they're going to come out. You do often. You also get sometimes prints just don't work for various reasons, and you don't you don't get on top of that quick enough. You can end up having build up areas that, that don't work on your print plate. You have a bit more time cleaning <laughs> them. I suppose the other thing that's worth mentioning, which is sort of the future of three D print, one of the futures of three D printing, which is uh, which we're not really there yet in terms of sort of home printing, which is but is three D printing in color. Oh right. So uh, it, it can be done, uh, as far as I'm aware. And I did have a little look today. There are a number of different ways they, they uh, it's done, but very few of them are really actually realistically usable uh, for home printing at the moment. But um, there is a, um, a really an interesting website called Hero Forge, where it's for people who play sort of role play games and want to have their one miniature. Uh, it's they, they've got an online program where you can design your own miniature. You can. You know, absolutely tons and tons of different things you can put in there the stances the poses all the different clothes and things like that uh, and they can all you can also uh, color the miniature and they actually have a system for they can send it out and get it printed for you in color with all your design mm. on it and i've seen one and it looks pretty good actually it was 28 mil figure and if you're a good painter you could do a, a better job but if you're you certainly wouldn't have an issue putting them on the table um so, so his technology is potentially there, and obviously that could be a bit of a game changer if you didn't have to paint your army. Uh, obviously, different software would be required, but that may be that may be there in the future. Yeah, there's there's one thing I've, I've, I've heard a number of people say about three D printing, which is sort of putting me off, but that's because of I, I know I'd possibly get obsessed with it and it's just a rabbit hole and it's almost a hobby unto itself 
the actual 3D printing side of it. And I can see that that's why I've, I've generally avoided it on the fact that no, I might just end up doing that and nothing else. It is a bit, and it certainly has the obvious danger of, uh, oh, those are models, I'll just print those models, shall I? Yeah, every time you've looked at a model and thought, oh, they look nice, I'd like to have those. Well, when you've just when you've got the uh, the files for them because you backed them on Kickstarter, well, it's not, not not much more of a step to then print them, and then you go, you'll find you end up with far more models than you can paint, which is, uh, <laughs> which is definitely an issue. And I, and and it, there is a sort of an economy of scale as well because you need your, your stuff to wash wash the models. So you think, well, I'm not going to do one print. I might as well do another one. I might as well keep it running for a day, and you know, and then you find you've 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 wanted to print enough for one tug and you've you've now got another army sitting in a box waiting to be done so <laughs> yes that does happen that does happen <laughs> and it is a I, risk i find that happens with metal anyway <laughs> well if, if you find it happens with metal nick it will be worse with resin trust me i'll avoid buying a 3d printer then i think i shall carry on <laughs> with my self-defense mechanism <laughs> what what i would like is a machine that paints my lead mounting <laughs> I think it's called Robin. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you need a Robin. Yeah. Or, or, you, or you sell your lead mountain and and buy a 3D printer when 3D printers print in colour at affordable and acceptable quality. <laughs> so I'm sure there's something there. Okie dokie. Look, look, Graham, thank you so much for that. That's been really interesting and hopefully... That, that's provided pointers for our audience out there because it you know obviously it's 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 really a big thing these days you know it's it's you know you only have to think back a few years you know not long before covid hit us really and it was pretty niche even then and now it's it's just normal it's part it's part of you know people don't blink when you say oh i'm just going to 3d print an army or 3D printer house, not a full size house. I think that's yeah, still yeah. quite. <laughs> you mentioned that is being done, but I think that's still quite extreme. But yeah. Yeah, I, I just can't even imagine the size of a printer for that. But it's... if you're uh, if you're if you're thinking of doing an army for Meg, I would. If you're thinking about buying it for Meg figures, I would suggest the first thing to do is go and have a look and see if you can find an army you want to print first. And then, or, or find, make sure there is something you want to print, and and then, and go from there. Yeah, but I mean, the what's available now from is it 3D Breed? Yeah, obviously rattled off for there. That, that was, you know, that's a pretty, pretty substantial good. amount, given still how new the, the whole yeah. thing is, and you know, I suspect moving into Aitken's historicals not top of the list when people are looking at things to design. So, yeah, no, thanks very much. That's been really really good the one thing i've noticed Ooh. in the 3d world at the moment is there is a massive amount of what i would call terrain stuff out there that you can print off i mean there are entire viking villages that people have done i i, I bought one for um south american um medieval well you know, incas aztecs <laughs> they've done the entire range it's, it's like 300 different buildings and it's stunning. And I, and I can see you're talking about getting obsessed. I could see that's where I get obsessed. I think, oh, I just want some new train for an army or, you know, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. Want, yeah, that kind of thing, you know, um, barricades, you know, Aztec barricades, oh, that yes. type of thing, you know, uh, yeah, or, or pervases or, you know, that, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I feel <laughs> so, you know, if, if the 
if the editing software isn't that difficult, as Graham suggests, you get it also think, oh, a camp for every one of my armies, a different, be a yes. different yeah, camp. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh and, and this one's got the option of a fortified. Well, I'll do the unfortified and the fortified one just by adding a palisade around the outside of it or something. And oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and, and if you can get the civilian figures, which I know some companies are doing at the moment, you can drop them into the camp and then just print it all as one piece. And it's just you, you, Nick's Nick's now shaking his head and going, "Oh God, my I'm money to be not spent." Buying a three three print. That 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 sort of thing. Yes, I could see that being a massive rabbit hole. Yeah. And I could see Paul designing his own Chinese war wagons and then printing them off. For, you know, different ones for uh, every as you speak, I'm downloading the software. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, so, so the podcast is going to move on from Matt redesigning his armies to Paul redesigning his figures, redesigning his figures, and starting a printout. <laughs> we'll have a stay here, folks. In a couple of years' time, we'll de, we'll design an army list at the start of the podcast and see how many figures can be printed out by the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that'll be the, the new podcast challenge: design and build, literally design and build an army in in, in a <laughs> podcast. Right, moving along from that piece of insanity to what? 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 Will Matt? You're gonna you're gonna kick this one off because, as I mentioned earlier, it, it follows on from your, your your stunning victory at warfare with the the army designed in five minutes, uh, but. With a break point of four, if I remember right. Yes, it was indeed. Yeah. It was. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was Sassanid Persian, and it was four blocks of um, cataphracts, two of which were Kushan, yeah. and then it was three blocks of flex horse archers plus some light horse yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, this, I was going to say. I think I was going to suggest we maybe explore. That sounds a bit formal, doesn't it? Um, is is you know, I would suggest you know, our armies with break of four are not seen that often, or even lower. <laughs> um, a certain amount of you, you've proved it can be very successful. Um, you know, you can't get successful than winning a competition. Um, so, just thinking, why don't we see more? Are, are, you know, are are the rest of us just too scared? Well, I, th I think there's, first of all, I think it's worth distinguishing. There are two types of army with small breakpoints. One is an army that has a lot of skirmishers yeah. and so has a relatively small number of tugs, but they're not necessarily that powerful. Or you could have a just an army which is nothing more than seven or eight very powerful tugs. So... Um, the approach to using one is slightly different, perhaps, from using the other. Um, so, I, for example, I have used a Parthian army, which actually only had three tugs. Um, and the rest were skirmishing horse archers. So that that army is a very different beast from an army that's just seven or eight powerful um, units. So uh, what did you have, Matt, in your army? Um, the the one at warfare was um, three blocks of superior six cataphracts, one block of average cataphracts, two blocks of um, the the Asvaran uh, loose order protected, experienced bow short spear cavalry, 
and then the Kushan, I think it's Kushan Flex Cavalry, which are unprotected, but they were going to stay in skirmish and always be out of the way. So, so you're right in the terms of that, that one was particularly block heavy. It, it, it worked on a very heavy punch. The one I ran at the, the one I ran at the Vice took a um, later pre-Islamic Arab ally, so it was all um, unprotected flex longspear, and only had three cataphracts in the main body. So quite a different beast. That 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 relied almost on the cataphract saying, "Look, I'm here." Whilst the Bedouins swept around the flank and tried to do them in the rear. Um, so, so, that, so that was actually a, an army with quite a lot of skirmish attacks, but the skirmishers weren't shooty skirmishers. Correct. Yes. Which is, ooh, which is possibly yet another type or a subtype. Uh, well, I can actually add a third type in that. I, I, I ran, I, I ran Ottoman Turks at. Um, I can't remember which competition it was now. And that had three 15, zero, 15 victories to me. And then I got Lee Sanders, who smacked me silly in the last round. And I scored zero <laughs> points out of that one. So I was in contention into the last round, but Lee really did me over quite spectacularly with his Crusaders. God wills um, it. Sorry? God wills it was a competition. That was the one. Yes, you're quite right. Yes, because you were also running Ottoman, weren't you? I was. Yeah. Um, but so my Ottomans in that one, though, were a, a different beast in that they didn't actually they relied on two units of blocks of four serbs um as their punch and then the rest was average loose order cavalry but with two blocks of janissaries and a load of skirmishers and that actually operated at a difficult terrain oddly so you know so again slightly different beast um the one thing i would say is in terms of what i found if you're going to run a small army you need a fortified camp on the whole it just frees you, or, or a way to protect your camp. The Ottomans ran barricaded um, skirmishes, which, which effectively did the same thing. Um, and what it means is you are free to roam around the table how you like without your camp being vulnerable. Because, of course, you lose a camp, it's a tug, and it's a cab test on all your units. And then when you're that small, you just want, you don't want that happening. Um, so that, that that's, tends to be the way. I, if I'm going to run a small army, I really need to fortify or protect the camp. Richard, would that fit with your experience? Uh, yes, I, th I think I'd probably agree with that. I think I think whatever size army you use, you have to have a plan as to how you intend to use it. Um, so I'm, I, I, I mean, my overall opinion is it actually doesn't matter what size the breakpoint is if you've got a plan on how to take advantage of what the army has to offer. Um, I think that's one of the good things about Meg is that actually you can be successful with a considerably wide range of different armies. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, as I say, I've had success with a Parthian which only had three tugs, um, but that probably was when I was using it at the time. Not many people had experience of facing a lot of skirmishing shooty cavalry so um and of course um, um jason Brumer did did very well with the alexandrian expeditionary army which again that was that was the one that beat my parthians with three tugs actually <laughs> <laughs> he, 
his army he was skirmish me, basically. <laughs> and then I, I was forced to charge the cataracts into Alexander's companions, Ooh. which did not did not work well. Yeah, Paul, have you ever tried this? You're you're a man who hasn't generally shied away from. Did the, the, the more insane end of army choices? I, I've written a few that sort of size, but I've never had quite the nerve to bring them out in competition. Um, I w was desperately wanting to use a an Albanian before the Albanian cavalry became cavalry, than when they were skirmishers rather than rather than decent flexible cavalry, which had I think three tugs, which was just the three actual heavy Albanian cavalry, and the rest of it was skirmishers. I thought that'd be great. That was after watching um, watching the Alex Alexandrian uh, expeditionary force kicking kicking people all over the place at Brickon one year, but I've never managed to get one that I like. The closest I've had that I, I think I might have taken out once as a practice was uh, a the, the heavy version, as it were, the um, uh, free company, which was seven tugs and pretty much nothing else, um, all eights all heavily armoured and two had to cut and crush apart from the minimum number of um, bowmen. Um, I think that was quite potentially very nasty. But I just fear that the whole army is going to collapse with a you know a couple of bad dice rolls. That's the that's yeah. the bit that scares me with it. And I just don't have the nerve to take that to competition. Yeah. Graham? Uh, I've, I've not uh, I used one. I may have done. Um, certainly we've We've had a down and down the bun shop. We've we've had a few use. My um, favorite, my dad's favorite army design for him was is a, an Indo Kushan, sorry, Nis Gideon of Kushan army, which is very similar to what Matt says and uses the same idea as what Richard said. Heavy punch. He's got a couple of units of flexi cavalry, two units of elephants, and three units of superior cataphracts, uh, and that works quite well, particularly for him because it it's it's less things to get confused with and getting a mess with as well you focus on getting the good troops in the right place uh we had a teutonic knight army which did very similar really three lots of full fat teutonic knights a couple of units of average knights and some other cavalry as well i think that was another one uh paul stavell's done very well with a, a um spartan army i think he only had seven tugs in that but then quite a lot of them were spartans then they're pretty tough um <laughs> Uh, and obviously the other one I've, I've faced a few times, which is really tough, is the five-tug Swiss army. Three yes. big blocks of Swiss and a couple of uh, Billman either side of it with some Sugs. Uh, I've also faced a a three-tug Parthian army with uh, ten units of horse archers as well. So uh, there's a few of them out there. Um, I, I like Richard, basically. I think if you've got a plan and you know how you're going to deal with you're never too worried about being your flanks or things like that. I think it's probably easier if you've got, although the Swiss and the um, uh, Spartans aside, it's probably easier if you're cavalry base, you're more mobile, so you can hit your point that you want to hit quickly. And it's harder for people to, to dash around your sides, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see why it shouldn't work as long as you've got a plan. So is it as i said is it just that we're a bit nervous about it is that that that, that paul has mentioned the, the the feeling that it might just all collapse really really quickly um it, it certainly can do and I, and I also think it's a very tense you, you you're gonna have to pay attention for all the game 
Mm. He, he, he really can't afford to make mistakes with that smaller army because it will collapse. The, 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 yeah, it's so... Well, it has a luck dependency to it. I mean, you, you can get black dice to death. No matter how well you position it, you can just, you know, and, and that's why the bigger armies are more forgiving. But I enjoy the small armies because it does keep you focused and it makes for <laughs> really tense games. So, yeah. yeah. Do, do they, you know, again, I suppose it's for yourself and Richard mainly, is uh, is, is it a case of they, if they're going to win, they'll win sort of in a couple of hours rather than three, three and a half hours because they haven't got that staying power? Or can the game, you know, do the games go on um, just as long as any or short as any other game because you need to have that manoeuvre? I was going to say, in my experience, actually, often with the smaller army, it takes longer to get the result. Um, uh, partly because you can't afford to make mistakes and partly because you've got fewer units getting involved in the first place. Um, so Matt's absolutely right. You can't afford to make mistakes. So you've got to be wary of your flanks. Because, um, I mean, that's usually the thing that a small army worries about is um, uh, if you get, you might hit one or two units and break those. But if you're in the process, you're then exposing your flanks. Um, you can't afford just to exchange units on a one to one basis. Yeah, And you can also find that you'll spend the early stage of the game actually being quite slow as you build up the good cards because often you want really good hands across all your commands for removal of wounds, holding holding charges, that kind of thing. So it, it pays to just take the slow approach and, you know, throw out all the rubbish. So by about turn three, you're actually sitting on greens, yellows and reds throughout your your command structure, particularly if you use professional generals, that can be a big help as well. And the other thing is, a lot of times you'll find your opponent will actually withdraw, particularly if you're using one of the big heavy armies. Well, you know, it's small, but it, it, it's you know, 18 superior cataphracts coming towards you. You'll often find that they will back up in a hurry and it'll take you a good few hours just to get across the table. Sometimes. <laughs> you know, as Mr. Mr. Hall did to me at Warfare, he was, he, he was literally at the back of his camp by the time the, the combat, the main combat. <laughs> yeah, his, his army wasn't really designed to stop a big heavy punch, though, was it? Oh, it, it, well, it, it didn't help that not only did I get to choose the terrain, I also managed to just get a billiard table. So he was really not having a good day before we'd even thrown any dice. So. Ah, no, nobody has any sympathy with the rules, author. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt no shame in running him over with the cataphracts. <laughs> so I think I think the main reason a lot of people don't use it is, is a lot of armies don't naturally lend themselves to that sort of build. I think that'll be the main reason. You, we, we've been no point doing it with, say, I don't know, says struggling to think of a, a hot <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, so most most armies don't really lend themselves to that sort of design. Uh, even a Roman army is likely to want to have, you know, nine tugs to get most of the thing it wants. If you go nine tugs, and so I imagine you're probably just not going to, not going to end up with that build with most armies. You can see a Roman army working quite well at seven. Yeah, obviously, typically I've, I've opened my mouth there. I? <laughs> I, I, I actually I don't mind fighting a Roman army with only seven because I know I can put one or two units 
to occupy its good troops and then work my way around the flank. So I'm 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 not I'm not fussed if my, my opponent only has seven units. The challenge is on. There we go. Mm. I think Mr. Brumer's one at Devizes was seven because he ran a Numidian ally. It was Caesar though, so it was yeah. exceptional with a legendary that, general. That's that's more of a problem when you've got a um, seven tug strong Roman with Numidian ally. That's that's a that's a good combination. Yeah, I found that. <clears throat> yeah, is 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 a sort of a. It's, it's all sounding to me as if you know you're likely to also want a good number of command cards with these these sorts of armies. Or again, am I just jumping to conclusions? I I've I play differently to Matt clearly because I've never I I don't think I've ever actually attempted to hoard cards um, before doing something mainly because I. I'm I'm always convinced that I I never get good cards anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, actually, that, that, that's that, that's a good thing, though, isn't it? I mean, there's it, there's not just one way to play these sort of art. Oh, indeed. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm but my style is very much to get across the table and hit the opponent before they can think <laughs> of how to react to me, but. Uh, is, is that back to fight, play fight, differently? Yeah. That back to fighting Paul when he's had fifteen pints of lager. Well, that's that's all. Uh... Yeah. Sorry, Paul. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. I have to admit. <laughs> just going straight up and fighting everybody straight ahead on that happens quite a lot. But fifteen <laughs> pints of lager doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so, but yeah. So, anybody? So, do you think we can persuade people? You know, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to think of. Uh, I, I, I tend to go for the a certain safety blanket approach, and it's got to have at least a break of five. Mm. You know, I think it is psychological. I, I think you've got to accept if you run a, an army less than a, less than a five break, you're going to have a bad day. Possibly, you know, you just can't. There are certain armies you will run across that you just cannot beat. They will either get the train because, uh, as as Graham said earlier, most of them tend to be cavalry armies. Uh, for the small breaks like Timurid. Now there's an interesting list that I still don't have the the um, uh, the brass what's it's to put on the table because <laughs> I just yeah anybody who can design me a good Timurid list that can do well in competition please send it to me because yeah, I can't. <laughs> I I did use one at Britcon, which I think only had seven tugs, um, which did okay, but uh, I'm not sure whether I've nerfed the army since then. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you didn't didn't you win the uh, the competition we had at GT in 2019 or something? You beat me in the last round again. Right, so, so, you know, I, keep, I keep losing to Richard in the last round. I'm going to get get uh, get, a, get a thing about this. Yeah, that I think that was Tim Reed, and you, you have made changes to the list since then. Uh, I I know I've I've certainly made changes to the Tim Reed. Uh, army list, so uh, it's perfectly possible, but yeah. I don't happen to remember that game, Nick. So. I, I can't remember if the army was a had a break, had a only seven tugs either. So, <laughs> but I, I'm, if, I've, if I've used Timurid, it's usually been a pretty small army, that's for sure. Oh, it wasn't big. 
that's for sure. Yeah, superior skilled shoot and charge. Yeah, you don't get many of those for the pound. <clears throat> no, no. <laughs> certainly don't. They can be really good though. Oh yeah, in in, in, in what thirty centimeters of the table. <laughs> <laughs> Quality, not quantity, mate. <laughs> yes. It's um, yeah, perhaps perhaps that's something we ought to think about next year. Or, or or think more about for those of us who who haven't who who've just gone, you know, when we when we're filling out the army spreadsheet, we we automatically number one to nine at least <laughs> for, for our tugs down the left. Perhaps, perhaps we should should be maybe, maybe, take a step back. Maybe you should have a, a, a an eastern themed competition where you can't have more than a break of five. That should get all the Mongols and uh, Timurids and everything else out of the uh, out of the woodwork. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe ice and fire. Maybe 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 resurrect Genghis again. You know, <laughs> conquest of the legendary general. It might might work. We might make sense for seven tugs. I am claiming that I got more points than you actually last year at ice and fire as well, Nick. Because I I actually had Genghis in my army, so I'm claiming all the points from all the other Mongol conquest armies as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 I'll 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 your attention to the official results page. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. unfortunately, the the scoring system didn't take into account <laughs> your claims for Genghis commanding yeah. all the other Mongols. It's outrageous. Well, I think we still only just beat you, mind you, but uh, <laughs> so we didn't have a lot of help. Yeah. Okie dokie. So, uh, and it's maybe just sort of moving on from that as, as a, just a, a quick thought about, you know, over the past, say, year, how, how thoughts on army design and composition maybe even use have changed you know have your armies evolved over the years or over the year or pretty much using the same sort of stuff you used last year and the year before i don't know if that's a bit of a nebulous question there well, you go. i i have to say what i have noticed sorry i have a dog climbing on my lap <laughs> to get in <laughs> on the conversation um what i have noticed is there is a lot more use of infantry skirmishes yeah and they are making those of us that like our horse archers a lot more difficult to um, shoot people at um, impunity, shall we say? I, I would concur with that. I think, I think, I think this podcast is to blame. We're, we're our own <laughs> worst enemies, you know. I know, I know, I know Richard has been mentioning it forever, <laughs> and I've always concurred with him on that as a serial user of horse archer armies. You know, if somebody plonks a load of infantry, I can shoot at without being shot back at yay happy days yeah i'm guilty as charged on that one look at the nitroforians as a as a possibility yeah well it's it's one reason i took the 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 early song or early northern song to ice and fire started this year yeah in a, in a theme that was quite eastern based i thought could be quite a lot of horse archer armies so i'll take an army that's got a good chunk of crossbow foot yeah you know, because outrange them and anything that charges, well, get that shot with the the S equals the wound as well. Always useful. But I think Matt's right. You know, so has, has that changed how you approach your armies then, Matt? Well, not exactly. <laughs> oh, it, 
I have found that well, it's not true actually. I have found I tend to downgrade, not not upgrade my horse archers to that Spanish shooty thing nowadays because <laughs> I don't get as much bang for my buck with them. Those points could actually be better spent on a couple of units of infantry archers or something like mm. that, you know, and just bulk out the numbers of the armies that way. So, yes, I guess it has had a, a slight impact, but I've always been a bit uh, combat heavy in my army design anyway. So, um, not as much as some others. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, I, I, I found the same with the um, the sort of skirmishing cavalry sug. I, I used to quite like one or two of those in a lot of armies, but I have started ditching them now because you pay it's about four hundred points for a six base sug of um, average um, bow cavalry with Cantabrian. And it's it's not feeling as good value as it used to, which is looking slightly dubious. <laughs> um, yeah, that's something I hadn't considered, but uh, I, I still find the occasional sug, cavalry sug, useful. But um, um, yeah, be, well, I mean, one of the interesting things is that over the years, the army choices do change. And, um, uh, yeah, certainly I, I took Tang to BritCon and it was the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody took armies that the Tang struggled to fight. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Actually, actually, oddly, I, I, I would probably now be more likely to take a nine base sug of infantry archers than a six base sug of Cantabrian light horse, mm. even in a horse archer army. Okay, I'll just uh, maybe I should be brushing out my Seleucid army with hordes of cretin archers. I keep looking at that Seleucid army, and yeah, yeah. Would that one work as a one with a small breakpoint? I think with um, all those cretin archers floating around. Yes, it's almost yeah. like the Alexandrian ex expeditionary, isn't it? It's just you've got mm. actually some fairly decent punch beyond the companions. Yes. Mind if I found one other thing I've, I've, quite, I've used a couple of times now uh, as a counter to opponents like cavalry, you know, slugs of horse archers, are the, uh, the Roman Lankiari, protected short spear, ja experienced javelin shoot and charge. Mm. They, they can really make a skirmishing light horseman's day go downhill really quickly. Yeah, I've, I've not done it in competition, but in scenario games, I've had some cracking games with Romans against Persians with the Lanciari. Um, it provides quite an interesting um, opportunity for a scenario game. Yeah, it can be really useful. Graham, Paul, any any thoughts on sort of trading in armies? Uh, well, my armies are constantly changing so far i've yet to go to an event with an unchanged army <laughs> partly admittedly it's because i've i've done a couple that turned out to be illegal and someone's missed it so i doesn't mend them that way um i'm also still fairly early at the stage i keep learning lessons and and then learning other lessons and then oh this is a really good idea and then i go come oh it's not a very good idea i'm still not quite mastering the fact of uh, where you you finally built an army, but you spent maybe 500 points that aren't really helping the army. They're not bad points, but they're not helping the army. I mean, the last time I sent my, Rome, my Roman army out, I had a unit of, I had one unit of Roman cavalry, and it was four strong, and I'd upgraded it to superior melee expert. And it, 
and it was a really good buy in the first practice game I used it. But then I got to the competition and, and it, all it really wanted to be was a unit of Roman cavalry that got in the way and held people up. And so making it superior melee expert was just not really worth the points. And in fact, if it had been six average, it would have survived longer and uh, or, or I'd have the points spent somewhere else. So things like that I keep learning. I'm the other way around with uh, cavalry sugs. I've actually found, particularly when I've tried to use a shitty cavalry army, that I haven't got enough points for expensive ones in most of the armies I've used. So I tend to downgrade them to poor, and I find them really useful for that. They're pretty cheap. Uh, they do, they are more vulnerable to shooting, but I'm more worried about them shoot. I'm much happy rather you shoot my sug than my tug. Um, and having a few of those guys around just to throw some extra white dice or possibly occasionally hit something in a flank, I found pretty useful. So I, I quite like a, a, poor, a poor, well, you know I me, mean, I like downgrading everything to poor, but um, cataphracts, sucks. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do quite like a poor, poor Sarcher unit. It's quite cheap and useful, gets in the way. Um, although, yes, all my armies are evolving, but I think that's probably more the case of the fact that. Um, I've still got a long way to, to evolve as a player, so to be expected, really. Yeah, I think I think some of my armies are becoming a bit more fighty than shooty, and that's possibly a reaction to things like the increased use of infantry skirmishes. You know, and I, I think I found that even with my something like the the Seljuk Turk, the horse archers are probably charging in a bit more than they used to. Just sort of related to that, I think um, certainly over the last year or so, um, people have really latched on to shoot and charge mounted. I'd agree with that. Yeah, obsessed with shoot and charge mounted, and um, I've seen it gone off those horribly up. I think my um, Lithuanians did so poorly <laughs> that's gone to one side for for the moment. Um, that was not a, a splendid moment in in the sun. So that was getting shot up by skirmishers and put foot bow. So I've sort of headed headed in that sort of direction, I think, in my in my thinking for what I'm gonna look at in the future. Next at least. <laughs> yeah, I think I think some people have overrated how effective it's going to be. I think it was quite effective when nobody else was using it. When it's suddenly it's like, oh hold on, this is a this is an exciting thing. And the Huns suddenly, you know, pay those extra points. And it's like the Huns were absolutely lethal for all of yeah, six weeks. I won a competition with Huns. So. <laughs> Were they shooting charge? Uh, yes, I think the entire army was shooting charge, <laughs> including including the unit I had downgraded to poor unskilled to, to, to get it just to, to get the point. So that was a case of I need I need an extra unit to get to the break of five to link back to you know. So I had a, a four base unit of 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 Hunnic cavalry who were, were poor, unskilled bow, melee expert shoot and charge. And they got to charge something, they got to shoot and charge with it and it was actually a flank charge and it really helped me no end it was a really quite decisive charge when they went in <laughs> but uh that was yeah but the, i think the entire army was shooting charge or at least it could be it was i can't remember if the if the roman equipped cavalry can be shooting charge. 
Yeah, but I, th I think it was <laughs> the nobles, the, the hun horse archers, and the 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 other ones were shoot and charge. The, so that was that. So, okie dokie. Last last couple of things. Yeah, we we can't go any further because we've mentioned them a couple of times. It's linked to Graham's poor cataphracts. <laughs> <laughs> and poor quality cataphracts who did as i say hold held me up something rotten in derby um but it's 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 a question that's been on, on I've, I've i've pondered on and off for, for a while but I, I think i know the instinctive reaction of some of the people here which is um cataphracts are they the best troop type in meg yes <laughs> I knew Paul was going to say that. Well, actually, I've just I ran the uh, my Meg simulator, um, dug out dug that out on the on the old computer, and um, bang for buck, they're pretty good. Uh, they outfought everything apart from Pike, where they lost something like twenty thousand to one times. So that was that wasn't good. <laughs> uh, that's straight on into Pike. So that's not. Not really good, and they couldn't quite outfight um, uh, many experts who had to cut and crush for the armoured. Um, but pretty much everything else I ran them against in the simulator, they just crushed. Is is this on an equal points basis or on just a no, base? Equal, to equal base? Tug, tug to tug. Okay, yeah. So it's base to base in fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, because I mean, because they are a quite expensive troop type um they are so but yeah i mean i i think they're probably because they are armored so you've got defense against shooting um because they've got long spear you're getting a melee factor against pretty most things not everything but a, a lot of things um so with the exception of a couple of troop types that paul's mentioned and I'd imagine they don't do particularly well against elephants, but I haven't included elephants in my mix. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, th in I think on the just on the basis that the elephants ignore the armor, and yeah. uh, they get good factors against cavalry anyway. I should imagine elephants are pretty happy. Um, I would think but, so. But with those exceptions, there's probably not. Oh, well, I suppose war, war wagons will hold them up. Um, particularly if the, if they've got a few artillery guns attached, but, but generally there's there's not a lot of troop types that are going to struggle. Uh, sorry, they're going to be at ease against cataphracts, so the cataphracts aren't going to struggle against much. Um, Long be pretty good value points, wouldn't it? Yeah, and. And, and don't forget, if you get long spear in two ranks, can cancel mounted melee expert. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, the, I, one of the things we did look at this year was the points value of long spear against charging lance and melee expert, um, and it was almost sufficient to sort of consider making a points change. But in the end, we we stuck with um the points as they are um but it's it's something that has been reviewed and i, th I think we'll continue to keep an eye on yeah. I, must say, I, I think they're great all around did 
And in fact, yeah, there, are, there are two sort of broad categories of cataphract. Like this is the eastern ones who don't have dev charge and the western ones, which are the more western ones, which do. You know, how do people see the difference there? You pays your money, you takes your choice. Um, um, I, 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 uh, obviously, the uh, dev charger ones can get into trouble a bit easier, but they can also fight their way out of trouble quite well as well. So, um, uh, I, yeah. whereas the Eastern ones are not quite so much punch generally, but um, don't get themselves into trouble. I, I think it's worth pointing out, I think of the Western Dev Charging Brigade, only Sassanid get formed, unless you're Roman. Yes. But what I'm basically saying is most of the, the, the dev charges are tribal, which makes them a bit tenuous to use well. You've, you've got to deploy them pretty much where you want them, um, which would make things like Kushan and Parthian just a little. Uh, so I, I enjoy Sassanid. So, so, so I enjoy taking Sassanid cataracts out for a rumble. Mm. And I much prefer eastern cataphracts for mobility and general i don't know in my eastern armies they tend to be more a solid wall that i know is going to stand there while something else does the dirty yeah you know whether it's massed horse archers shooting the heck out of a flank or um some loose cavalry with short spear and melee export or something along those lines that hits him um in the flank something along those lines so yeah um I think the best troop type in the game, though, is superior Roman legionaries with shield cover and melee expert. <laughs> oh, they're up there. Uh, only because they are infinitely more flexible, literally, <laughs> than cataphracts. Cataphracts can have a really bad terrain day, and there's just nothing you can do. I've had games like that where the terrain has just fallen, so literally you just can't. Although, to be fair, I have seen cataphracts in a wood charged in the flank win. <laughs> Not mine, but I have seen it done. And you just walk past it. Because that fully armoured long spear still still has an effect. Does, yeah. Paul? Yeah, I, I think those eastern cataphracts are a lot better. Um, the devastating charge, I don't think adds much to their fighting ability, but adds an awful lot to their points. So not just the lack of control, the extra points for not a huge gain. Um, Yes, occasionally on the on the impacts with the chasser, and there is a plus one, but it's not as much of a gain as it is worth it for the points. Um, so, given the choice, I'll always go without the devastating charge. I, I, I find I can really get myself into trouble with the the force charge. So, I, I do have a liking for the eastern ones without dev charge. I must admit, I found the uh, the obviously is is. is... As pointed out, I did use a couple of units of cataracts downgraded to poor with my Romans, and they uh, did. And, and the biggest problem I found with that was a the dev charges you say meant that they got, as they were the support troops rather than the main flying troops, you got dragged into combat when you didn't necessarily want them to. And being tribal was a real pain because they were supposed to be a support troop; they weren't supposed to be chewing up loads of cards. Imagine if you're going to make them superior and they're going to go and hit something really hard, then the dev charge probably feels like a good a reasonable pick then because at least you're giving yourself that third factor in the charge but 
But yeah, I can imagine the Eastern ones would be a, a pretty nice pick. Just a little bit more control, I think. Particularly if you're going to be average and not not. And although not technical, uh, technically cataphracts, what about the, the Sassanid horse archers that are fully armoured? I know both you and Richard have played around with those. Well, they are cataphracts, but if not long spear cataphracts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, they're, they're, I know what you mean, though. No, they're just weird. <laughs> comments. I, I say that as, as, as having them in the list is somewhat my fault as I brought it up. <laughs> For Richard, um, yeah, they're they I have well, I haven't played with them with the new capability they've got, the shower shooting one. I used the army at Divisors last year, and it was interesting. It's really different to use an army where that's a horse archer army where it can't evade. It really makes it quite different, but they're they're, they're reasonably handy in combat, especially the superior ones. You know, superior, fully armoured, mm. and and you know, got the armoured horse. You know, I I played um, Robin in the first game, and he had Huns on a fairly constrained table, and I just lined up long spear and horse archer cataphracts and walked towards him. Oh, and a unit of elephants as well, which which his Ostrogothic <laughs> ally took one look at and redeployed as far across the table as it could. <laughs> <laughs> So you know that was that was quite nice. Yeah, they're they're really different. It'll be, it's an army. I'm definitely going to put on the table again just to see how the shower shooting capability works. That is, yeah, a, and and whether it's just, worth the points cost. Just to explain, the the shower shooting capability will basically uh, opponents won't get the plus one claim uh, for the cavalry having shot. That's that's the difference it makes. So it makes them um, slightly more solid at impact. And they also they also slow in the same way that artillery do. Extra base width on the nets. So so yeah, they could they got an increased chance of slowing people and therefore getting more shots in. So that's going to be interesting to see. But there is a Richard, Richard evenly put a points cost on it. Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think there are a lot of people who are going to be relieved at that. <laughs> I think it's probably sensible, all things considered. Because <laughs> yeah, it, it, it has the potential to be quite powerful, actually. <laughs> actually, I, I haven't seen, on the subject of the changes to the list, actually, I haven't seen what the uh, shove reduction has done to the points in my uh, Sassanid lists to see... Um... Um, it'll be about four or five points of base so yes uh, the, the only ones i've have clocked i think were my my roman ones which i think because they're drilled close i think they ended up saving something like seven points of base five or seven i can't remember which one well i've got 24 cataphracts in that warfare army so you know that's, uh, you've that's probably a got 100 you've probably got 100 points back yeah yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the horse archers will be of use in that army later on then. <laughs> Upgrade them a bit. <clears throat> okay, so I think there's a certain amount of love there for cataphracts, isn't there? Although I, I look the point well. I'm sorry? They look, they look pretty as well. Oh, oh absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Why it's important. Yeah. And of course, think... the, the, the last thing, sorry, on, on cataphracts, they're, they're not actually cataphracts, but any of the the... the 
post-1450, like Italian or Maximilian Germans, where they're close order, fully armoured armored horses. I mean, not cataphracts, but they're, they're pretty damn close. And yeah, they well, also um, look quite pretty. Yeah. And then they're... And quite a few of those are charging Lancer Dev Charge Melee experts as well. Oh, yeah. But they are really quite eye-wateringly expensive. <laughs> At least the Italians, you can have a cheap back rank. Yeah. Yeah, Close yes, order sure. heavy, 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 close order protected. Yeah. It's still <clears throat> not cheap. Oh, God, no. Oh, no, no, no. There's no, really no. cheap German ones in the, with the shove. The, the... Yeah, oh, tribal. The tribal. The tribal uh, yeah, ones, yeah. Three, three ranks deep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am tempted because that's just so stupid. It's got. I, to be done. I, I have been as well. I must admit. You look, I keep looking at those. Games. <laughs> that is so stupid. Yeah. You know, like, just yeah, <laughs> lumbering. They, they bring a whole new meaning to lumbering. I think. Right, I think we're, we're, sorry, oh, sorry. After you, no, no, I was just, just going to say. I think there's one list that you can have eighteen of them. <laughs> one of the one, one of the German lists can have eighteen oh, of those tribals. <laughs> on what they'd be like in twenty-eight mil. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, watch out for the 28 mil magnet competition. <laughs> oh, well, I'm now on board with the, um, the uh, uh, oh, no. next. I think it's going to have to be seriously heavy cavalry. You, 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 you'll have, see, yeah, it's a German with three of those. You'll have an army that's going to be 246. It, it's only going to be about 18 bases wide, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Three pike piles and three and three and three wedges and three deep <laughs> columns of knights. No flanks. I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, you put the knights in the middle, the kyles on the edge, so you've got no flanks. Oh god. <laughs> you'll need to be lifting weights to carry the army to the combat. Oh, I, I think you'll find Warlord do enough troops in plastic, or does the Perry the Perry's do, Late end um, Wars of the Roses knights will probably just about do it. Now, <laughs> uh, if you're going to go 28 mil, you want proper lead. <laughs> None of this getting... plastic stuff that blows away in the wind. <laughs> just getting images of war gamers cueing the Rocky music so they're lifting these like. <laughs> 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 we're going to promote Meg competitions by a sort of Rocky type montage <laughs> training scene, are we? Yeah. Well, Jason Broomer's already always said because it's an athletics halls mostly, we're all athletes. So therefore, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is a new definition of athlete. Isn't it? Quite possibly, yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not sure that'll hold much water. Yeah. <laughs> but, and this is a horrible thought. <laughs> right, moving away from that ghastly mental image. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll be going around GKs to use the 100% alcohol to try and expunge it from my memory. Um, but I just thought we'd wrap up. We started by looking back a bit at this year. So let's look forward a bit to next year. I don't, I don't know what, what people thought. Things, things they're looking forward to. Obviously, you know, we're kicking off the competition rounds not that long away now, Ice and Fire. But just uh, thinking, well, yeah, what do people looking forward to in the meg world for next year you know the games new armies or whatever springs to mind richard you can start again. okay uh well i'm going i'm excited by the opportunities for uh playing meg alongside the rome total war board game so 
be coming out hopefully quarter one, quarter two. Um, so I, th I think uh, I'm, I'm looking to set up a few campaigns and that sort of thing at uh, Guildford Club or elsewhere. All right, so that's use the board game for the campaign side and fight the battles in some scale of Meg. Is that the plan? Indeed, that's the idea. Cool. So yeah, Paul. Well, I think the twenty-eight mil stuff's going to be fun. Um, see what it's like. Um, so far, enjoying painting large chunks of stuff, um, and I've got a, a Nikephorian army on the painting sticks because I'm convinced that it will work. I am convinced it will work. Like is, is that before me? Is that big or fifteen or twenty-eight? That's 15 mil for the for the Nikephorians. The 28 mil are going to be um, lanchnecks and quite possibly massive deep wedges of um, knights after that last conversation. <laughs> <laughs> We've created a monster. <laughs> so, yeah. Graham. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, ice and fire coming up next, so I'm looking forward to that. It'll be, it'll be uh, nice to get, get playing that. Not yet decided what I'm going to use, but. Uh... Uh, certainly looking forward to to, to re-scheming all my lists with the slight changes that have been happened. It's uh, another excuse to go through and redesign various lists. And um, yeah, painting, getting a new army on the table. I'm not yet sure what it's going to be. I'm certainly very tempted by this 28 mil madness. And there's a few few guys down down south who were sort of newly starting to play, digging out their 28 mil figures and. I mean, I watched a, um, a unit of cavalry charge five base switch in 28 mil. It was miles. <laughs> you can't, how can you not be excited by that? Look how far it moved. Um, <laughs> that so yeah, that was, uh, is definitely a thing. You uh, you think you're nice and safe, and all of a sudden you find these things charging you, um, and they're in range, and you're <laughs> suddenly reacting to moves you didn't think you'd have to react to. Yeah, it's going to be. There's going to be some, some distinct differences. Yeah, cool. yeah, I Matt, quite, oh, sorry, sorry uh, carry on, Graham. Sorry. Quite nice to one of the sort of advantages of 3D printing is when I'm having if I'm having trouble sort of working out how to paint something, I can. It's an excuse to print a, a 28 mil, a few a few bigger figures, and then sort of paint the larger models, and then have a look have a look at your, what your models are. Although it, <laughs> it is quite strange painting. I'm I don't know if you guys found it, but painting 15 mil after painting 28 mil is quite weird. Yeah, no. I yeah, that. so yeah, lots of new toys, lots of new games, and hopefully, uh, you know, getting crushed under feet by a few by by Nick again as well. <laughs> Matt, um, well, I, I'm disturbed by the fact that Paul's insanity is matching my own. We we seem to be a synergy at the moment when it comes to <laughs> that. I, I I have thematic Byzantine on sticks in 15 mil at the moment because I'm convinced there's an army in there that would work. I'm I'm, I'm wrong, but I'm desperate to try it and see if i can get that to work um 28 mil obviously i'm really looking forward to that it's it's, it's a period it, it's a scale that i never really got involved in when i started wargaming i went straight to 15 and i have this boundless enthusiasm for it and i don't know why it's 28 mil but you know uh, <clears throat> i've already planned well i bought one army which i'm uh, a couple of you know which which should be interesting but uh, I have to say, um, Victrix have just released their Scythian horse archers. Oh, they're stunning. They're gorgeous figures. So I, I've immediately gone back to thinking about Sassanid Persians and Parthians or, or, or something along those lines. Well, they call them Scythians, but you can use them for Parthians and all sorts. But um, 
worth looking at those figures they're in plastic so um, yeah i've already planned a second army on that front so and then i'm sure there'll be a medieval one in the perry stuff at some point so 28 mil better take off <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's plastic well i used to play a lot of 28 millimeter in the field of glory days so uh, I was a new, uh, late comer to 15 mils actually, so um, I'm I'm looking forward to getting getting all these 28 mil armies on the table again. Yeah, well, I think yeah, I've done, but like other people say, you know, the, the 28 mil is certainly something I'm looking forward to and painting an army. I mean, I started wargaming in well, 25 mil back in the day. Um, 25 mil English Civil War in minifigs with First Army, um, and then sort of in the late 80s, I stopped. I got into 15 mil and you know, and ended up selling the 28, 25 mils I had. So I'm having a sort of return to the larger figures. I never did it in DBM or Fog. So, so yeah, no, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think we're going to have some some really interesting times seeing how different armies work what points levels work you know i think we would have a try out a variety of points over next year hopefully you know not necessarily just at competitions you know friend of games club games whatever work you know as, as we sort of work out how it goes you know so and uh you know I, I'm willing to bet somewhere on the line that I'll throw up some points tweaks needed for Magnet as well, <laughs> just to keep Richard busy. <laughs> um, but you know, I think I think it's been really good fun, and there's certainly been of enthusiasm. Like Matt, I'm and Paul, you know, I'm, you know, I've only just started a 28 mil army, and I'm already thinking about a second one and possibly a third one. <laughs> so, you know, after some initial work, reluctance to do, go with the plastic, I've uh, tried some plastic 28mm ECW some years ago and didn't get on with them, but, you know, I've got some gripping beast Roman ones and they're, they're less fiddly to put together than whatever I tried for the ECW. And Matt's right, he, he showed me, the, he pointed out the, uh, the Victrix horse archers to me. Oh God, they look good. But they are made of more. But they are, they've got more parts to glue together, which I do see as something of a downside. But anyway, yes, it's that. It's way forward. <laughs> well, actually, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> said, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. It'll end up costing me even more. Um, yeah, I think the other thing I'm looking forward to is the army I mentioned earlier, the Yamato era Japanese, um, finishing that, getting it on the table. You know, I think that's something a bit different. Um, could be interesting. I, def I certainly don't think it's going to be a world beater, but I think it could be uh, could be a bit of fun to play with. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying painting it. So yeah. So and all in all, we've got another another year. We've picked up loads of competitions, Bill, already planned. So going to be good. There's um, there's um, opportunities for going abroad as well. Um, I think we get we're getting more. In if I, if I can be parochial and apologise to people listening outside of the UK, but we, we quite often just concentrate on the UK competitions here. Um, but, you know, there are competitions in France, um, the States, um, a European championship in Greece. I can't remember when that is. Is that in May, back end of May? Mm, I think so. I think that's 28th, 29th of May. Yeah, so, um, you know, 
opportunities to, to travel and meet friends or make new friends, get crushed by new friends across the table <laughs> <laughs> and maybe just maybe sample the local drink. Oh, we'd never do that, would we? On a World hmm. Games trip? No. Unfortunately, I rather suspect that next year for myself is going to be a, a bit of a t financially tight one. So I'm not sure if that's going to be a thing for me, but, you know. I'd love, else. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do the Greek one because I, I have very fond memories of the um, the IWF in Athens. <laughs> well, I have some memories, should I say? Uh, so uh, I, I, I have some distinct <laughs> blank spots. <laughs> as, as, um, I, I, I ended up out one night with the, the sadly late Steve Charlton, uh, which there are big blanks in my mind and probably lots of things I'm probably better off not remembering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I also, I, I missed that evening, thank God. But I do remember seeing Steve the following morning, and for a man that could hold his drink, he looked very, very poorly. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I think I was very, very close to myself, very severe damage that night. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, anyway. So, I, all, all that remains is to wish everybody really good Christmas and New Year. Um, and look forward to meeting lots of people again next year across the table or over a drink in a pub or wherever. Um, GK, no doubt some late nights at the Brunswick in Derby. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> Might just be on the cards and other places. So thank you all for coming along to this podcast and um, have a great holiday. See you next year. Thank you. Thanks, guys.